Balotelli. Aguero! Lewandowski goes through again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast. With me, as always, the Daniele De Rossi to my Francesco Totti, Billy. That's right, guys. We've got a host of topics for you this week, uh, including some special guests to talk about one of the hottest teenage transfers in the market, well, really, of this decade. But we've got FA Cup to talk about, more coronavirus transfers, and, of course, we look forward to the last weekend of the Premier League. As mentioned before, we've got our first guests on the podcast, James and Emily from Birmingham Fan TV, to give us a picture of who Jude Bellingham is as he has just become the hottest teenage signing of the century, almost. James and Emily, just give us an overview of what kind of a player Jude Bellingham is. Why don't we start with just his position? What type of player is he? Um, What you're getting with Jude Bellingham, essentially, is an incredibly versatile um, midfielder. Someone that I think, you know, it's, it's one of the main characteristics of him is that he can pretty much do and play whatever you want him to do. Um, naturally, uh, we see him as very much a number 10. Um, we think his creativity and, the, and his eye for goal um, is, is really the standout points. But um, his physicality uh, for, for, a, for a 16-year-old, especially, you know, being close to six foot already, um, and his maturity and his strength, um, allow him to play as a, a very good box-to-box midfielder, which is where he's played for the majority of this championship season. Um, someone that uh, can do the defensive side very well. Uh, he's also played wide on the left as well, um, which, again, doesn't... Uh, obviously, it's never been his natural position, but he's done very well, you know, cutting in onto his right foot as well. Um, good at beating a man. I think he has a sprinkling of everything um, I think I saw him compared the other day to um, somewhere between a mixture of uh, Patrick Vieira and Steven Gerrard, which obviously I don't know how close that is, but uh, he's got the technique and the, the attributes to sort of merge with those two. So, yeah, Jude's a, a fantastic talent. And um, obviously, depending on where Brishy Dortmund see him best, I think he can play there with, with, with great ease. That's interesting because you've just said that he or you market him as a number 10, whereas in Germany, most see him as a number eight coming in. And yet, so more sort of the box-to-box midfielder that you described. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, that they would market him as a, a number eight is because I think that's pretty much where he's played for the majority of this championship season. Um, we've utilized him as a number eight in, in a 4-4-2 uh, midfield, um, and he's very much been the box-to-box for us. Uh, but I think growing up through a lot of his development, um, the club obviously trained him and, and utilised him as a number 10. Whenever he's played for England's um, setups, he's played as a, a 10. And last night in his final appearance, we, we shifted the system back to a 4-2-3-1 and he did play in the 10 um, behind the lone striker. Uh, that's I think I only put him there because I think it, it's such a waste to... To put someone with with the the, the grace and the skill that he's got, uh, sometimes too deep because I think you would be almost wasting his creativity. But then saying again, he could play as a deep line midfielder um, and be probably very good at controlling games, especially you know as he develops in his vision and his um, I guess his control of games becomes better. Uh, he could certainly play the deep line playmaker as well. So yeah, that that would be the only reason I would put him as the as the ten instead of the eight. I remember, I think, I think it might even have been M that liked the picture. He was the last one off the pitch at St. Andrews last night. Went around thanking all the stewards and things like that. So he, he obviously loves Birmingham more than anything. Yeah, but I think it's, it's it, been really tough one for him. Because obviously, I think he's grown up as a Blues fan. He's been at the club for 10 years. Um, and his maturity and 
his graciousness that that's really was shown last night. He loves the club, and the fact that he went around and thanked everyone individually just shows what he is like as a person and his family, and what they've done for the club is just on a different level. But what I want to ask you to, in your obviously. Of course, unbiased opinions, but <laughs> someone like Jaden Sancho got his break at Dortmund because of the injuries they had. Do you think Jude Bellingham is good enough to go into that midfield anyway? Because people like Modahood aren't great, to put it bluntly. Ooh, uh, it's it's a tough one. Um... <laughs> Do I think he's got the ability? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think his, his, his head is way ahead of his years. Um, so the way he'll handle the pressure, the way he'll handle these games, I think going into it, he wouldn't struggle. Um, but I do know that obviously Borussia Dortmund's midfield does does contain obviously a lot of talent. Like, But I think it depends where they see him fitting in again um, and whether that he's been... I guess it depends what he has been bought in for. If he's a, if he's a, if he's a player that they can see thrown in straight away, or whether he's somebody that they may be utilising the cup and off the bench and and sparingly until he grows in and 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 obviously he matures a little bit. That remains to be seen. But I do think that um, given the given who Jude is and and how we know him best, I think he would go in and and he would settle in right at home and be able to to make an instant impact at Borussia Dortmund, yeah. So just a quick question on, you know, just to basically elaborate on his playing abilities. Would you say he's more of the flair and, you know, creative player? Or is he, you know, a classic central midfielder who is all about the passing and the shooting and is robust and good in the air? Um you know, quick on his feet, but more known for his strength rather than his, uh, you know, skill in the ball. Um, no, I, don't, I, I would, I would honestly say he's definitely more known for us for his technique and and his and his really quick feet. Um, and he's he's got a really good um, eye for a pass as well. Um, he picks out some really, really good balls. Like I say, he can very much control the game. He can split defences with a really good pass. Um, if he picks it up in between the lines, which he tends to try and do quite a lot. Uh, but he's someone that try, likes to run at people as well, which, again, is a very, he's very much a characteristic of a number eight, like you've been saying. Um, he does like to pick the ball up and run and go at people and... It would be difficult, but then again, like I say, he's done he's done everything this season. When we've asked him to, he sat in alongside Ivan Sunic, who we got from um, Dynamo Zagreb, and he's he's done the defensive work when Sunic has pushed pushed forward, and he's gone and, and not shirked a tackle. He's really been good at, at putting in some of those tackles and and tracking his man and marking. So, but no, I would certainly put him under the more of the category of of his flair and and what he can offer you. Obviously, in the final third, more than his um, maybe some of his, his physical attributes. So that sounds like it'll be quite obviously quite a a good thing for Dortmund to have, especially with players like Marco Royce and Julian Brandt. I just wanted to to ask. There's a lot of young players with a lot of hype around them, and a lot of them do get moves, and it doesn't work out, but. Does the hype, you know, does he warrant the hype? Will will this not be another, you know, big move too soon? Will we then just go on to bigger and better things if he's managed properly? I think that's a question that's been asked a lot. And I think if you look at it from the outside in and you haven't watched him week in, week out, I think it's a fair assumption to think that that might be the case. Yeah. But because we've watched him week in, week out in a subpar squad that's managed to stay up in the championship. That's that's being polite to him. So that's the, the squad that he's had to work with has been oh, exactly. dreadful. If he's looked so good and controlled the games so many times at 16 years old, 17 years old in the championship and really kept them up at times, 
what could he do in a fantastic team? So I think it's a fair assumption if you haven't watched him, but actually, if you look at him week in, week out, how he manages the game, how he runs the game, his physicality, his mentality towards the game, he's actually a lot more mature beyond his years. And he looks more of a player the stature of maybe a 24-year-old, the way that he reads the game. But I don't... I think Dortmund was the one place where, as fans, we were happy for him to go to because of their ability to nurture youth players and young players and and bring them into the first team, enrich them and really get them going in their careers. Whereas I think, no offence, but a team like Man United these days are a lot better. But in previous times, they would sign younger players and just leave them on the bench or in the reserves, whereas we want you to be playing week in, week out. Well, I think, oh. I think uh, sorry, I just wanted to add quickly, like we, we talk about seeing, seeing players that are they going to live up to the hype? You know, I watched Ravel Morrison come to Birmingham in 2013 and we all know the story of Ravel. Um, yeah, the man better than Pogba. Honestly, and as well, like I watched him, and, and we some say that we got the best out of him. You know, we he came to us, and then he went on to West Ham the next season, where he he looked like he was reviving himself, and he was really really good for us. Um, we, we I'd never seen a talent like him, incredible footwork, um, but had his really big issues. He had his ups and downs with us, and and I think Clark had to bomb him out the squad a bit because he, he'd done obviously a lot of night antics and bringing his mates to the training ground and all of that. But I think the point I'm trying to make is is that obviously he was the prime example of a player that was had the hype and then never lived up to it. But I think the difference is, I think Bellingham in terms of ability is very much on Ravel's level, um, if not better. And, you know, again, that's hard for me to say. But the difference is his is, is mental, you know, his mental attributes, you know, he's, he's there, he wants it and he's incredibly humble and he's not one to mess around, you know, he's, he'll be in training the next day. Um, he's someone that is a born winner. I think that's the, you know, the sad thing with Ravel was, you know, if he wanted to make it, he could have made it and we all know about abilities, one thing, but they've got to have the, the mental sides and I think that's, that's what set Jude to, you know, sets Jude apart is that, um, incredibly talented but mature young man as well well that should be a great uh insight james and emily thank you so much for all the uh details on jude bellingham um hopefully everyone in germany will get to know him a lot more over the next season and see all the qualities you guys have been raving about if you're looking for more Birmingham fan content, uh, check out Birmingham Fan TV on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks so much for coming on, guys. No, I really appreciate it, guys, and uh, and good luck, and we hope you enjoy him in Thank Germany. You. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'll, I'll be watching from afar with hate and jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks, guys. Really appreciate this. We're going to keep the Corona transfer roller coaster going with the next piece of big news. Kai Havertz has agreed to personal terms with Chelsea, and we're now just waiting on a transfer fee to be agreed between Bayer Leverkusen and Chelsea Football Club. Eighty million plus add-ons is in the is is the most talked about fee. Do you think it's going to go over eighty million, or do you think Chelsea are going to basically put a cap on eighty million and just say we'll get everything else on add-ons? I think 80, 80 million flat and then with add-ons, but I think a lot of it, given the money they've already spent and what's been going on Rona-wise, yeah. it might depend on Champions League qualification. Because if they lose to Wolves final week of the se- final day of the season on Sunday mm. and Leicester and Manchester United draw, Chelsea finish fifth. And the difference in one, one number is millions of pounds. Uh, yeah, you've, you've definitely got a point. Uh, the Champions League top four finish comes with a lot more money. Um, yeah, I th- here's the thing. Leverkusen are also kind of making their whole transfer plan basically depending on what comes of the Kai Havertz deal. I mean, we're pretty much certain that he's going to go to Chelsea now when they, that they've 
said, you know, the fees are basically the personal terms have been agreed. And, you know, Petr Cech is, I think, already flying to Germany this week, already has done, um, and is now in talks with the club bosses over there. So it's, I think Leverkusen definitely want to get 100 million out of the deal, but I wouldn't, I think 80 million is probably the most Chelsea will spend. Um, I think it's interesting to see how Chelsea are building up their attack while investing zero in their back line, which is, you know, in my opinion, where they need it most. And um, in that back line was fully exposed yesterday yeah. against Liverpool. Oh, un- unbelievable how exposed they were. I mean, it, it doesn't come from nothing that they've conceded 54 goals. And that is by far the most amount of goals conceded by any one of the teams who are currently positioned in the top six of the Premier League. Like by by a long shot. Yeah, and I think it would be naive of Frank Lampard to go. Well, we don't need, we don't need any defenders. I've got enough. Well, I mean that being said, they've spent sixty million on Werner, forty on Hakim Ziyech. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And now apparently they're going to be eighty million right off the bat for Havertz, which could go up to a hundred, maybe a hundred and ten even. So I think you know they've spent. They've spent, what is it now, if I'm doing the maths correctly, is it 180 million just on, you know, their attack? And they have yet to spend any, million, any, any money on, the, on their back line, which, I, you know, arguably, if you want to have one to two good players strengthening that back line, you're going to need to invest anywhere between 40 and 80 million again. Do they have that money? Well, again, it could all depend on Champions League. Some people are still saying that, you know, of course it is most likely that, you know, um, Kai Havis will go. But if they, I mean, if Chelsea don't make uh, Champions League football, would that impact, you know, his move? I would say, I think, I don't think it would. I don't think it would impact, impact his move. It would impact their ability to spend, well, you say that with the owner they've got. But I mean, personal terms can be agreed. You know, that that doesn't sound like... It, it's an issue for most people. But if Leverkusen don't want... If, if Chelsea are trying to hamstring Leverkusen with the, with the flat fee, they're more than in their rights to go, no. Yeah, true. But I mean, and I think, you know, we've been around long enough to know that nothing is for certain until that signature is drying on the piece of paper. Well, yeah, I mean, saying that he's actually signed the contract. Well, Willian had his, had a medical at Tottenham, and then signed for Chelsea. Exactly. John Obi Mikel, there's that picture of him wearing a United shirt, and then he went <laughs> on to play for Chelsea for years. So, you know, it, it's it's not set in stone. It probably will happen, mm. and yeah. it'll be really interesting to see what Frank Lampard's going to do with this almost FIFA career mode level of forward It really play. is, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Well, but I then mean, again, are these Frank Lampard's players or are these the board's players? Because it does happen. I'd it say happened at United some, under Van Gaal. I'd say, I'd say to a certain extent, they might be the board's players. I'm unsure as to whether uh, Hakim Ziyech is a Lampard-wanted signing. Because I arguably on the wings, he's you know he's not bad. But then again, Hakim Ziyech's best play, best position is a number ten. So is Kai Havertz. <laughs> so is Mason Mount. Which you know begs the question: How many number tens does Frank Lampard really think that he can play at one time? I don't know. I'm not. But, I don't want to turn this into a slagging match at Chelsea. Because <laughs> I've already said it, like you know, it's, it's it seems a bit. Oh, th- thanks for helping me, uh, youth players. Well, I couldn't sign anyone, but now, <laughs> piss off. <laughs> off your fuck. But we can talk about that another time. Exactly. Yeah. Moving on to a team that are looking to invest in their backline when they need it. Manchester City are looking at Nathan Ake for thirty-five million. Is the rumored transfer fee? I think that could he really strengthen that city team? Mm, I don't know. I mean, he's no worse than the other defenders they've got, other than 
Amaric Laporte. And Laporte, uh, L- Laporte has been known to be injury prone. I think they're bringing through Eric Garcia. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if he can live up to the expectation that he's got around him. True. And Nathan True. Ake is a, he's a capable defender. It just doesn't help when you've got other players around you that can't. Nathan Ake's defending is not the reason Bournemouth look like they're going down, are going down. And it wouldn't be the first time a big team's bought a relegated defender, would it, Lewis? I can't argue with you there. I mean, in, in our case, it's worked out beautifully. So, <laughs> interesting, Zeke, because I don't think Chelsea have a buyback option this time. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think the train with Nathan Acker at Chelsea has left the station. Well, you know, crying out for a, for a defender. Seems to be the theme of the of, of Premier League top six today, doesn't it? Um, Thiago rumors yet to be confirmed, but apparently... Jurgen Klopp has, wor- has been asking the club or the board to start work on a transfer. Um, the fees being talked about in Germany, at least, are that Bayern are looking for 40 million euros. Liverpool are looking more at only paying 25. I think 25 million is an absolute joke considering Thiago's talent and the fact that he's not even 30. Mm, I'd be sad to see him leave. 25 million for a player of that ability is a bit, it's almost a bit disrespectful to offer it. That's what I'm saying. But I mean, like 40 million, 40 million is actually already a little bit of a joke. Well, you know, our Liverpool friend, Greg, Greg asked you about this and he seems quite, well, he seemed quite happy with the prospect of it. Cause yeah. granted they're, they're mid, you know, as good as Liverpool have been. I think, any Liverpool fan would agree that their squad depth. Thiago would walk into that midfield. He's better than any of the midfielders that, T- that Liverpool have got at the minute. I think at the moment the only- you can't drop Jordan Henderson. Well, you can't drop Jordan you can Henderson. can't drop Jordan Henderson because would- he's got no footballing ability. I was about to say, you can't, you can't drop Jordan Henderson because of his standing in the team and within the club. Yeah, but I think you, you face a better- massive backlash if you went in there as a manager and went... <laughs> How are you captain, going? Captain, nope. <laughs> um, Club captain, you know, leader on the pitch and in the dressing room. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you can pull that off. Um, nah, but he's definitely better footballing-wise or from a footballing ability standpoint, he's definitely better than anyone who they've got in that midfield. It's better than Naby Keita, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, having said that, and this will provide a perfect segue into our Premier League match day discussion. Naby Keita scored a freaking rocket uh, against, against Chelsea the other, uh, yesterday, which, you know, I'm not going to lie, that was a, it was a pretty, pretty nice strike to watch. It was a good goal, but again, that entire game just summed up what I think is going to be the problem for Chelsea next year. You know, yeah. fan, you know they brought Christian Pulisic on at halftime. Fantastic going forward. He completely back, yeah. ripped that back four, which has been so solid. He ripped it to shreds. That being said, that but, back four since they won the title at Liverpool well, was not. I mean, I think they're still. I think they're still pissed up because I would be uh, every day. Oh, 100 I, I'm not saying. I'm not saying they shouldn't be. I'm just saying that that saying that you know Pulisic just ripped that back four apart doesn't have as much weight when um, when you. When you look at the fact that you know Liverpool have kind of taken their foot off the gas a little bit, yeah, but there's a difference between doing it against Burnley and doing it against Liverpool. So I think it still yeah, carries true. a bit of clout. Oh yeah, I mean, looking at the because we because we didn't get to discuss Premier League match day 36 in our last episode, Liverpool losing to Arsenal kind of goes off the back of the uh, I think there's still a pissed argument. Because, you know, losing to Arsenal this season, who, by the way, are mid-table, like bang on mid-table. Well, they can't now, since they lost to Aston Villa Tuesday. Mm-hmm. They can't finish higher than eighth, which is their lowest finish since 95. And yet, I've seen all these Arsenal fans on Twitter. You know, they beat Liverpool. Cool. Yeah. They beat a team that's already won the league. Well done. <laughs> They upset the established order 
in the FA Cup. That's true. When they kept a clean sheet when they beat City, which mm. actually surprised me because I really wasn't expecting an Arsenal win. Oh, I wasn't expecting an Arsenal, Arsenal win, let alone a clean, clean sheet, especially when you've got David Luiz and uh, Mustafi in the back. Well, Mustafi had to go but, off injured as well. As much as it pains me to say it, it's a, it was a David Luiz masterclass that match. He's, oh, he's very hit and miss. He's very hot and cold with it. And, yeah. you know, Jeanne moans at me and has a go at me when, when I openly mock David Luiz at every opportunity I get. Because it's yeah, funny. It's, yeah, exactly. I had to hold my hands up and say, fair, fair enough. enough. Well, we're getting too much into the FA Cup portion. We get back to the Premier League portion. Um, lesser, probably the from match day 36, the last, you know, notable matches um west ham beating watford basically secured west ham from relegation or saved them from relegation now watford are back in it and it's going to go down to the last match of the day leicester beating sheffield united kept their top four hopes alive do we really think leicester have got or are going to finish top four is that you know a pipe dream and they're most likely just going to get europa league well, they've dropped off since the restart. And the way they played against Spurs, you'd say no, but their last game yeah, was, was against about, United. Yeah. I, was, I was about to say that, um, that that goes perfectly into match day 37 where Tottenham beating Leicester is very much a 3-0. I mean, that, that, that's a solid scoreline. <laughs> that game alone could decide top four. Well, the Leicester, yeah, yeah I mean, true. I true. Mean, just talking about that for a minute, Harry Kane's second goal. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It reminds me of the one he scored against Arsenal at White Hart Lane. But that was from a that one was from an even like tighter angle. Just bends it round. I think Spurs have to keep you know, obviously he was unfortunate to get injured on New Year's Day. And Spurs yeah, suffered and for it. I was about to say, I think that did more than many people want to admit. Um or many fans will want to uh rival fans will want to admit, but I think Tottenham would have definitely finished higher with a fit Harry Kane throughout the whole season. I think but, they'd be you know, up there. They'd the be past. up there with United Wolves and and all that lot. But I mean, speaking of uh, the battle for the Europa League, Sheffield United are definitely. I mean, they're very much. They're a good deal further away than than what it looked like uh, when when it looked like they could uh, they could make the sensation of getting a newly promoted team into European football a reality. But now... Yeah, I mean, they're, they're five points off Wolves. Well, they can't. Well, they, Oh, yeah, mathematically they can't anymore. But, I mean, going into match day, going into match day 37 before losing to Everton, it might have been. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, was, it, was a nice, it was a nice dream. It was a nice dream to have. But I mean, I you think, can't uh, take anything should... away from... Chris Wilder. Oh, definitely not. And he, had I mean, Liverpool not won the done. league by so many points and been so good, I would have possibly argued stronger for Chris Wilder being manager of the year. I mean, I'm also going to put forward a manager of the year um, who you're not going to like. And I would have put, you know, if it hadn't been for Klopp, I would have maybe picked uh, Frank Lampard because what he's done with the Chelsea team that he's been given with that young squad, I think is already remarkable in and of itself especially given his uh, you know, experience coaching top teams, which is virtually zero before this season. I was going to say, I really wondered where you were going with that because he was only at Derby. Yeah, that, that, that's what I mean. Which if you speak to someone from Darbados, they'll claim they're a massive <laughs> team. Yeah, okay, but also Arsenal will claim that they're a massive football club. Which just Ooh, isn't the case anymore. It just it just isn't the case anymore. I'm sorry. They're a big club, but they're not a massive club. They're a club that's been consistently finishing, you know, in the mid, ta- you know, maybe at best Europa League in the last couple of seasons. I mean, I'll give you a stat here. In the last four seasons, Tottenham have finished above Arsenal. So does that mean Tottenham are bigger seasons. than Arsenal? I wouldn't say Tottenham are bigger than Arsenal. I'm just saying that Arsenal aren't that as big of a football club as they used to be. I don't, I don't know why I'm fighting the Arsenal core. I don't like Arsenal anyway. I mean, seeing as we've already discussed the Premier League, I'll give you some stats to this. Um, 
Liverpool, since August 2018, so the last two Premier League seasons combined, have lost just four matches and taken 190 points. That's crazy. It's just an unreal stat. To compare with Manchester City, they've lost 13 matches in that same time span and only taken 176 points. Only. Well, I say, yeah, okay, only. But, I mean, obviously, they were, they were helped by their unbelievable 100-point season, 2017-2018. Uh, but, you know, going along the list of the top, you know, the usual big six, obviously excluding Arsenal during this time period because they just weren't really up to it. Triggered. <laughs> Triggered Arsenal fans incoming. Chelsea have lost 19 in that same time span, taking 135 points. Tottenham have lost 24. How many taking 129. Manchester United lost 18 only, but have also only taken 129 points. So uh, Tottenham to may have fair, lost we, more games, but they've... Yeah, we, you, draw, we draw United a lot drawn. of games. Exactly. So that's the only reason that... Uh, a lot of bullshit United, two twos and one alls that, I, you exactly know, just, the only. that just fall off the top of my head recently, which is a lovely segue into... Ooh, the, the, fun, part of the, the oh. fun part of the podcast now is the FA Cup rundown of the semi-final matches. Why don't we just start with Bill's I'm just, I'm favorite just gonna, match? I'm just going to go and I'll let you talk. And then I'll come back when you finish talking FA Cup. Okay. Well, I mean, I was going to be nice. Um, I was going to be nice to start off with. I'm going to say Chelsea did show good attacking form, which they have done all season. Do you want to just wind and me up and watch me go or something? Just... I'm, I'm going to start with it. Uh, the hair is miles from where it used to be form-wise. And, you know, I'll, I'll, trigger, I'll trigger you even a tad more. Was he ever the best in the world? <laughs> Fuck off. Yes, he was. Between the years of 2014 to 2017. Okay, well, that's just I'm not, not I'm true, not though, ha- is I'm it? not having that argument now. I'm not We're having, having this, this argument. argument. I'm not I'm having starting this argument. I just, I just started this up. I just, I just started this argument because Noya was the benchmark for all keepers 2013 to 2017. After his injury, De- David De Gea, yeah, I'll give I you mean, that. David De Gea has not been the same since the World Cup in 2018. That's what I'm saying. David De Gea was 2017 to 2018, definitely the best keeper in the world. But I wouldn't have said it anywhere between, before then because, I mean, we'll just throwing this fact here, Manuel Noir was nominated in the top three for the Ballon d'Or 2014. So making that argument is just false that David De Gea was the best in the world in 2014. Just going to put that out there. Yeah, well, shut up. You just know I'm right. <laughs> shut up. Moving, moving on, Maguire-Lindelof centre-back partnership. It's not a part. I know you have a lot. you have a lot to say on that because I would say that that partnership is not even anywhere remotely close to cohesive. No. Harry Maguire, that's fine. I'm happy with that. People can take the piss out of how much he costs, but that's not Maguire's fault. You know, that's not... He's, he's, a, he's a solid centre-back, but there's only so much one man can do. <laughs> so Especially need, when that one man has zero pace. Exactly. He's not blessed with pace, but... When you've got someone next to you who seems to have... I've, I've, I've moaned and slagged off David Luiz having no defensive awareness. <laughs> Victor Lindelof, like, day one of centre-back school. Goal side of your man. Twice. I was about to say, that was, that was, my, that was my next uh, point. Demarking of Giroud in the box. Oh. In the run-up to the 1-0 and the 2-0. It was just dreadful. <laughs> Oh, okay. The first one I've come to peace with. I know Lindelof can't defend, so I don't expect him to. Yeah, okay, but you expect David David De Gea to keep that shit out. Like, come on. What I still has given me nightmares and sleepless nights since Sunday. (laughs) That second, oh, just... I don't want to talk about it because it just makes me angry. It It just gets worse and worse, doesn't it? Because... Any keeper, any keeper saves that shot. It's not a good shot. I'm getting flashbacks to his debut when he played against West Brom and Shane Long scored practically the same goal just from the right hand, uh, the left hand side of the of the box. Oof. Oof. Yeah, and it's, it, I think, I'm, I'm, 
I'm not gonna lie, it's one of those things that as a keeper, you're just like, oh, wow. wow. I think I, I think I can sum it up. I mean, the third goal, it was just an own goal. It should never have happened, but it was an own goal. We were crap. The team the selection mar- was wrong. The marking in that on that third goal. Sorry, I think I said it was the one and the two nil were the marking of Giroud and um, and Rudiger. Funnily enough, um, was just poor, or basically the the positioning of both centre backs was poor. So the one and the three nil. Yeah, positioning second of both one was backs purely was, De Gea's fault. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, maybe you can arguments can be made for you know not closing down the shot off, but you know any keeper should be having that. No, I'm sorry, he can't. He should be keeping that out. Oh, no. I'm definitely in agreement with you. But not starting Martial, Greenwood, Pogba, when we were in the form that we were in, regardless Ooh, of, of having given me th- the two days less. You've given me the perfect segue into my next point that I was going to make. Oh. The questions to be asked of Skullshire. Oh, no. I butchered it again, didn't Solshire. I? Solshire. Okay, uh, so the questions, I'll just go with OGS, which is easier. Questions to be asked, why not put your strongest team out to make sure you get into the final? I mean, this is also a um, point that was made on Sky Sports. You know, why, why, are you, why are you not putting out your strongest team? Why are you basically putting more or basically putting more of, an, more of a priority on making top four than you are making the FA Cup final? I don't think it was more of an effort on top four than the FA Cup. I think that, that's what it looks like to anyone out on the outside. I don't want to use this as an excuse because it's the most nausea excuse going. Let's hear it. But Chelsea had an extra two days rest. And I'm not using that as an excuse. But United had to go down to London, back up to Manchester, and then back down to London again. Yeah, but I think they would I'm have... Not using, I think I'm the, not using it as an excuse because had we had that two days rest, it probably would have been 2-1 instead of 3. <laughs> uh, I'm not yeah, even sure. You... We didn't even deserve the 1, to be honest. <laughs> so the, the, to be the fair, formation, it was a penalty, so... The formation, because the last time we beat Chelsea, we played three at the back. Yeah. But we also played our best players when we did that. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. That's that's what. Other, that's than, my other point. than Paul Pogba, who was injured at the time. I'm I'm gonna be I'm I'm gonna start putting some triggering facts out here, and not facts, but you know opinions. Just as a comparison, I know Mourinho is not you know the best manager in the world, but I'm saying he's a successful manager, and I'm saying if Mourinho had been in that position, he would have put out his best team to win the FA Cup and not given a shit about top four. Because to everyone on the outside, it looks like um, United are gunning for top four more than they are for an FA Cup final. At the end of the day, if you look at a, at a manager's CV, an FA Cup win is going to be so much bigger than making top top four that year because there's not going to be an asterisk on his, on his FA Cup win saying he only made fifth in the Prem that season. So the FA Cup isn't worth as much. No, well, no that the reminds, FA Cup win is going to be an FA Cup win. That reminds me of that Paddy Power advert with Jose Mourinho in it, where he walks past. It's like, uh, I, I've been successful in Spain, in Italy, and it shows his medals, like, you know, where he threw his medal in when he won it, Chelsea and all that. It's like, some achievements don't get medals. And it's just a newspaper headline. It's like, United finished second. And it makes me piss every time. Because it's like, he said, oh, that was my biggest achievement at United, was finishing second. It's like, oh, God. But no, I know what you wrong. mean. But yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll move away from this. So very painful topic for you. Um, and, you know, at least there was some light. Can we talk about Arsenal the... again, please? Ex- ex- exactly. I was about to say, because your bitter rival, City, uh, Manchester City, have also not managed to beat a team in which they were massively favored to win. I mean, come on. Our, no one was pegging Arsenal to win that. No one. And we've, we've already Pet talked about this. And, yeah, okay, we're not going, on, we're not going there. It's fine. I'll get, I'll get Louis on. I, He'll back me up. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, no, we can't, we, uh, can't be no having, I, we can't be having the Fraudiola thing come back. I'm not, I'm not starting that again. That's not, we're not having that. No, I don't think that. he's a friend. But I mean, we've, we've said, I mean, I think the, the picture that sums up that match the best is when Guardiola looks 
you know. Oh, is that I when he looks to looks to Arteta looks, for advice, but he's not there? Exactly. That's I think that one, in that situation, it was the that was probably the best or the picture to sum up that whole match. Just I don't think anyone expected it, and I watched yeah, I it mean, with, a, with an Arsenal fan. Well, it's like I watched it with an Arsenal fan, and and she was like, "Oh, we're not going to win this. We're not going to win this." <laughs> First goal goes in, absolutely mental. Come on, let's go. And then it goes back to, they're going to score. Oh my God, they're going to score. I don't think that's what City have done to people. Because obviously over the last few years, they've been that good. Well, there... It goes um... goes back to the, you know, what Pep Guardiola has done. It's like a, it's almost like a mental thing. Where people just assume they're going to score. But I'd, I'd counter that point and say that City have lost the fear factor because teams like Arsenal have scored against them and have, you know, basically they're not sitting back anymore and basically and taking a five or six nil on the chin being like, well, that's city for you. We're going to be, that's, well, that's just what happens. You expect it to happen once a year. Exactly. You're just like, yeah, we go to, we go to basically we go to city, we go to, we go to Manchester to the Etihad. We're going to get thumped five. nil. they're going to come here and thump us three nil. And that's all we're going to say about that. They've lost that fear factor. Because, I mean, if you, you have to think about it, this season, City won, a qu- I mean, they lost almost a quarter of the matches that they played. They've lost nine matches. They've lost the same amount as Arsenal. The only reason it doesn't look as bad is because they don't have a losing streak and they always pun- bounce back with a 5 or 6 nil win right after they lose. But with their, with their back line being as shaky as it is, um. They, I mean, they're not going to win Champions League with that back line. Uh, not a chance in hell. Well, they're, what is it? They've got a 2-1 aggregate lead over Real Madrid at the moment. Yeah, and okay, the but you have to think that, that... The form that Real Madrid are in. I was about to say, those are two very different teams that are playing, you know, versus in February. That's a very different City team from now. And it's also a very different Real Madrid team from... February, so what we've got now. So I don't think it's going to be as good for City as it as everyone thinks. All I'm saying is, uh, Hala Madrid. <laughs> but I know what you're saying about Arsenal. But I, how do I describe this? They're like a okay, yeah, okay. They're like a stopped clock, which is right twice a day. So they beat Liverpool. Yeah. They beat City. And then they lost to Aston Villa. Which is a granted to Villa, who have actually have something to fight for because Arsenal aren't going to get European football anyway. That video of uh, Aubameyang marking, I think it's Tyron Mings. Oh yeah, Tyron Mings makes oh, him laugh, distracts oh, him, makes... and then run, flicks him on. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love that video. That is just uh, that is the type of shit housery that you need. But yeah, I mean, and, granted, you know, we also have to talk about we have to talk we have to talk about Arteta because. He's done he's a great job. He's, I was about to say, he's shown that he's more than just Pep's right-hand man. But there's also been... He's also said in some post-matches, which I think has been a, a reoccurring theme with... Well, it certainly was with Unai Emery. You know, how much backing is he going to get from the board? Are they going to give him the money to go and spend to improve that team? I was about to say, last from, summer, they definitely didn't. And from what he said in some post-matches. I don't think he, I don't think they will give him that much. You know, they'll be lucky if they get 40 million for Thomas party. Yeah. I was, and you know, given, given the, the coronavirus effects as well, it's going to be even less. So, you know, you, you can be as good a team manager as you want, but that Arsenal team, yeah, he's definitely need, he's done well moving them to three at the back to shore up their defensive errors. But unless you improve that team, they're not going to go anywhere. I think, barring some transfer miracle, I mean, yeah, they've got Gabriel Martinelli to come back, but barring some transfer miracle, I think we can pretty much discount them from the top four for next year already. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they did, I think for the first time in a while, for the first time in a you know in in the last season almost that I can remember, Arteta had given the team a clear tactical plan against City. Oh yeah, so, he, 
but is that him being a good manager or is that him knowing the way City play having just come from there? Yeah, okay. I or guess a combination of the two. I guess you could make that argument, but I'd still say that either way, he's he did something with, you know, granted, not a great team. So um, for that, I think we should I think we should give him credit for what he managed to do there, even if it was with, you know, prior knowledge of you know, having coached City for two years. Maybe. Well, I want to look ahead to the last weekend of the Premier League. You know, all games kick off at four o'clock BST on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I've picked four games that are going to be worth following, not necessarily watching. But I've got Arsenal Watford and West Ham Aston Villa, which could decide yeah. which of them go down. Because if Arsenal win, Watford are down, regardless of the West Ham Villa result. And West Ham are safe. West Ham are safe now. So, and Villa have had some sort of weird mini revival. Yeah. Talk about, yeah. you know, it reminds me of the Wigan's annual great escape. <laughs> Wouldn't play all season. And then for the last like six weeks of a season, they'd switch on. And then I've also picked out Leicester United and Chelsea Wolves. Yeah, the obvious fight for top four. Any predictions on the last two games? I'd say United win against uh, Leicester and Chelsea managed to beat Wolves, um, to be honest with you. And the table stays much the way it is. I really am going to be the biggest Wolves fan. <laughs> Do you know what? If, if Wolves beat Chelsea, I'd have no issues with us drawing with Leicester. Well, obviously not, but you know. But then uh, again, that, that is a statement made purely out of spite and hatred. <laughs> Which, understandable, you know. But, you know, I think it would be really harsh on, Ch- on, Frank, on Frank Lampard if they didn't get top four. But then again, you know, it would reinforce Frank. You can have all the attacking players you want, but if you concede, was it 49 goals in a domestic season? No, it's now up to 54. <laughs> 54 goals in a domestic season. You know, that, yeah. has to ha- that has to have some consequences. You're definitely right. And, you know, Raul Jimenez, Yota, Adama Traore, even, you know, people like Podence, they're going to cause that Chelsea back three, back five when they defend. They're going to cause them a world of issues. Yeah. But again, yeah. It, might be, it might be a case for Chelsea, okay? Okay, if Jimenez scores twice... We'll score three, which I mean, is I think a that's terrible way to to manage, you got, you got, manage a game. Well, obviously, but you got to work with what you've got, which is you know, and that's a problem because at the end of the day, you're not going to win any titles with that type of mentality. So, Chelsea yeah, definitely need to you sign say someone you've got for the to back work line. With what you've got, but they're in a position where they can now change what they've got, and they're staying with more of the same. Yeah. I mean, you look. Yeah, the, the, you look I mean, they're staying good. with more of the same. They're staying with more of the same and boosting what they already don't need boosting. Exactly. You look at that Barcelona team that won everything. You know, in the you know two thousand and nine onwards for a bit. Yeah, they were great going forward, but they also had PK Puyol, Dani Alves, a competent yeah. goalkeeper in Victor Valdez. Exactly. I think that's also one thing Chelsea are definitely missing. And the problem is goalkeepers are not, or competent goalkeepers aren't really, you know, abundant in the market at the minute. Well, that's the thing. I just, just going back to transfers quickly before we finish. Chelsea's goalkeeping department. So they've got Willy Caballero, who is 39 or something. He's a competent backup, but not more than that. Kepa Ariza Balaga. It's not really worked for him. But then again, it is early doors. Do you, he, but here's do you the, give he, him another season? Here's, here's the thing with that one is because, you know, when he got signed from Athletic Bilbao, you know, becoming the world's most expensive keeper, I hadn't heard a single thing about this guy. No, nor did I. Nothing. No, not there had been no... Exactly. There was no... There, he had not made a massive name for himself, you know, playing in the Champions League. He'd not... Being, you know, at least 
from the outside. And this could obviously be wrong. You know, if you're in Spain and you watched, you know, athletic Bilbao week in, week out, you might say something different, but if that reputation hasn't come, you know, across or basically made it outside of Spain, that should tell you that, you know, that 80 million price tag was definitely not warranted. Players who move for that much money, they're known around Europe, like Kai Havertz. He's known around Europe as being a massive talent. Yeah, I can't argue with that. But you and look at some of the keepers yeah, that... just not known. Jan Oblak, no. Yeah, just not, he's, got, he's got 120 million or 130 million release clause. It's just not going to happen, is it? They're linked with Mark andre Ter Stegen, which isn't <laughs> going to happen. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going to laugh at that one. I'm just go. not going to comment any further. <laughs> um, Dean Henderson, which, no. <laughs> I think, I think United will be like, United will be like, <laughs> mm, don't think like, so, buddy. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're offering to triple his wages. Cool. Okay, we'll do that as well. I was about to say, you think United won't? Like, no. And then I think I think the uh, the most realistic one I've seen thrown around is Onana from Ajax, which I think is he's probably got more of an international rela- um, relationship. He's got an, more of an international reputation. Reputation. That's the word. Reputation than than Kepa did when he came to Chelsea. Because people have seen him and what he did for Ajax when they made it all the way to the uh, semifinals in the Champions League. So would be an interesting one. But that is all we have time for this week. We will be back next week discussing the last Premier League match day. And after that, it's going to be all about the Corona transfer roller coaster, won't it? Not forgetting, the, not forgetting our European tour. Well, yeah, the European tour, but that's sadly not for another couple of weeks. Something to look forward to anyway. We will be back next week with, as we said, all the rundowns from the Premier League, as well as any new transfer news. Hopefully, we'll have some more clarity with the Kai Havertz situation. Thanks for listening, guys. Big thanks to Em and James from Birmingham Fan TV. Don't forget their link tree is in the description below definitely our first guest can't forget that one as well definitely a small milestone we'll see you guys next week take care love the beautiful game